Hello and welcome back to Tales from Africa. This time we have something slightly different. You see, as I was uh, going through some storage at my house, I found this old book, this old family book. I believe it used to be my dad's, now mine. Um, it's called BP, The Story of His Life by E.E. E. Reynolds. So, if you don't know who BP is, he's uh, Lord Baden-Powell of Gilwell, and uh, he's the founder of the Scouts Movement. Now, when I was growing up, and when I was a little wee fellow, my dad, I, I grew up with my dad telling me all the stories of all the adventures he got up to. You know, he was um, in South Africa doing scouts and going off in the bush for weeks at a time or days at a time, being stuck in rapids at midnight whilst canoeing or whatever, being saved by bigotons and the rest of it, and or going off in jamborees up to Germany, the Netherlands, Denmark, Norway, swimming in the fjords around there, jellyfish and all that fun stuff. Now, I have to admit, when, when I did try it out down here where I am, it wasn't too impressive. It might just be the state of it in my country where I am now and when I was growing up, when I was a younger fella, or it might, it might just be the specific uh, group or... It might just be the state of modern scouting, but who knows. But regardless, Baden Powell is a fascinating man and he made an amazing organisation. But, you ask, how has he got to do anything with Africa? Well, you see, Baden Powell, in his scouting, uh, developed his scouting in Mafeking. You see, he was the leader, he, he was known as the hero of Mafeking. Um, in the Second Anglo-Boer War, for his forces there, the British forces, they were under siege by the Boers, and he's the one that held on and pushed on, and he utilised uh, local boys and all that, and developed a scouting system, which he would later use to develop the Boy Scouts, and he, well, and in South Africa, he spent most of his life and well transitioning between England, South Africa, and India. Um, as a military officer and the rest of it, but he was—he's had a great many adventures in Southern Africa, um, West Africa, uh, Rhodesia, so Zimbabwe, Southern Rhodesia, as it was known then, then Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe, and then of course South Africa itself, Natal, um, what was then known as Basutu Land or what is now Lesotho. Um, and the passes around there, uh, up in the Transvaal, uh, Orange Free State, Cape Province, all over it. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, his time in India as, as a younger fella and uh, as a slightly older fella. But anyway, he's an exciting fellow. His amazing life and great connections to Africa. So, with, the, with all that out of the way, um, we'll begin with the first chapter, The Training of a Tenderfoot. This book's quite old, just by the way, so you, it, the page turning may be quite loud. Um, I have it right in front of me. It's a very old book, and it's got lots of tears and things, so just excuse that. But anyway, chapter one, The Training of a Tenderfoot. When Charterhouse School was still in London, there was a traditional feud between the scholars and the butcher boys of Smithfield Market just outside. During one of these battles, when brick bats and other missiles were being flung over the wall, a group of smaller boys were cheering on the seniors. Suddenly the door of the school opened and out stepped the headmaster, 
Dr. Haig Brown, or Old Bull. He too watched for a minute or so, and he said to the onlookers, If you boys go out by the side gate, you could take them in the flank. The gate is locked, sir. True, but I have brought the key. In a few minutes, the sortie was made and the enemy routed. Amongst those younger scholars was a slightly built, sandy-haired, freckled boy who, in afterlife, was to achieve fame as the defender of Muffa King and founder of the Boy Scouts and Girl Guides. Everyone came to know him as BP. His full name was Robert Stevenson Smith Baden-Powell. That's Smith with a Y. He was born on the 22nd of February 1857 in London. His father was a clergyman and a professor at Oxford, well known as a distinguished scientist. BP's mother was the daughter of another scientist, Admiral William Smith, who claimed descent from the same family as Captain John Smith, the Elizabethan adventurer who helped to found the colony of Virginia in America. When BP was seven years old, he lost his father. The family was not too well off. There were seven children, of whom the eldest was Warrington, aged 13, and the youngest, Baden Fletcher, aged one month. BP was the fifth child. He had four older brothers, of whom one died in 1862, and a younger sister and brother. They were a very happy crowd of children, and their leader was Warrington. They They may be thought of as a patrol for the brothers were a real band of adventurers. Fortunately, their mother believed in letting them find their own amusements as soon as they were old enough, though she must have had some anxious moments. Warrington was very keen about everything to do with the sea. He was trained on the Conway, and it was therefore natural that much of the early training the brothers got with him was in boats and small craft. They could not afford to buy anything very big or very good, but by using their own skill and improving what they could get, they made their craft seaworthy, and they had many adventures. Some of these came very near to disaster. On one trip, they were using a tent tunnel called the Koyoinor. In this, they had cruised around our coasts and had crossed to Norway. On this occasion, they were off Torquay when a gale sprung up from the southwest. At first, they tried to make for Dartmouth, but both sea and wind were too strong. Warrington decided that they must wear ship and run before the gale for Weymouth. Night was coming on and the storm showed no signs of dying down. Accustomed as the boys were to the sea, they all, except for the skipper, turned sick. (laughs) They were lashed with sufficient length of rope to get to their jobs, and Warrington kept the helm and shouted all his orders against the noise of wind and towering seas. Through the night and following day they battled on, and at last found refuge under the lee of Portland Bill. On another occasion they went out from Harwich in a storm to try and find a ship of distress, and they had, as B.B. said, a perfectly vile time of it. Warrington had the idea that if only they could get to the ship they could claim salvage money and so afford a better vessel for their own use. They failed to find the ship, but they added to the experience. In addition to sea trips, the brothers did a good deal of tramping about the country, they carried as little as possible of them, slept in barns or under hedges and haystacks, and cooked their own meals. They all had very practical natures, so whenever possible they would visit a factory or workshop to see how things were made. One of their most interesting trips was made partly by canoe and partly on foot. Their mother had taken a cottage in Wales for the holidays. The boys decided that the railway was too tame a place of travelling, so they got a collapsible boat and set up off the Thames. They camped each night and, as usual, looked after themselves completely. When they had gone as far up the river as possible, they hiked across country with 
the canoe to the Avon, which took them down to Bristol. Here, greatly daring, they crossed the Severn, and then went up to Way, and so eventually joined their mother. As one of the younger members of the party, BP got many of the jobs to do on their trips, such as the washing up. One experiment he made in the cooking was not favourably received. A soup he concocted was so repulsive that he was ordered to eat this muck himself, being made to do so. In all these adventures, he was picking up useful ideas on how to look after himself and how to take his share of the work, a good foundation for his training as a scout. These expeditions took place during the holidays. In 1872, Charterhouse School moved from London down to new buildings at Goldarming, and there BP had further opportunities for his early scouting. A stretch of woodland near the school was out of bounds, but it drew BP with his love of the outdoors like a magnet. Here he enjoyed stolen hours watching birds and animals and learning their ways. He snared rabbits, skinned and cooked them over small fires, for he knew that too much smoke would give him away. He learned how to climb trees and conceal himself from inquisitive schoolmasters, and he soon came to know that the first lesson in stalking is to be able to freeze for motionless creatures really noticed. He was popular at school, but he did not stand out either as a scholar or as a player of games. He took part in every activity and was generally above the average. In sport, his best achievements were as goalkeeper, but he had his own peculiar ways. Thus, he would, at times, let off a great war whoop, and he always took a spare pair of boots into the field with him, as he discovered that by changing at half-time his feet got less tired. He never did things simply because other people did them. He liked to experiment with his own ideas and did not bother very much about what criticisms were made. It was not surprising, therefore, that his fellows thought him a bit odd. The headmaster, Dr. Haig Brown, encouraged his boys to accept responsibility. He was not very fond of rules and regulations, and he trusted the boys to carry on with a great deal of, without a great deal of interference. BP afterwards expressed his gratitude for this because it meant that each boy had the chance to follow his own bent. Possibly Dr. Haig Brown knew more about those visits to the cops than BP suspected. One side of the school life was very congenial to BP. The headmaster was a great believer in theatricals and concerts. These were regularly organised. It was not long before BP showed his talent as an actor and singer. He had a great fund of humour and this found full expression on the school platform. In addition to taking part in the plays, he sang and recited. The humorous monologue was a strong point, and frequently this would be made up on the spot. Another skill of his also gave pleasure. He could make funny sketches as well as do more serious kinds of drawing and painting. From his earliest days, he found that he could use either hand equally well, and some times as a trick he would draw the picture of his right hand and shade it in with his left at the same time. From his handwriting it is difficult to tell which hand he was using. He certainly enjoyed his school days, but by the time he had to leave, he was then in the sixth form and second monitor in his house. He had not really made up his mind what he wanted to do. His chief idea was that he would like to travel, but it was this more than anything else which took him into the army. While it was being discussed whether he should go up to Oxford as his elder brothers had done, he sat for an army examination, and, to his surprise, and to that of those who knew him, he passed so high up on the list that he was excused the usual training course at Sandhurst 
and received a commission straight away as a sub-lieutenant or ensign in the 13th Hussars. As the regiment was then stationed in India, he immediately got his desire to travel. He sailed from Portsmouth on the 34th of October 1876 and landed at Bombay on the 6th of December. He quickly settled down to his new life, for he li- his lively spirits and good humour made friends from wherever he went. The children of the officers found him a cheery companion, ever ready for fun. They were always welcome in his bungalow and liked to watch him painting a picture. Then he would march them out to the music of his okrana and encourage them to use their eyes. He himself was particularly keen on observing the ways in which animals lived. This habit was lifelong. He would go out to some quiet spot in the jungle and lie concealed to see the wild beasts come down to a pool to drink. The deer, the jackals, tigers and elephants and the boars. The knowledge he gained in this way was a later to prove of value in his scouting. Although he was popular with his fellow officers, he did not make the mistake of doing things just because they were in fashion. He took an independent line. For instance, in the matter of expenses, at that period a subaltern received a salary of £120 a year, and it was assumed that any officer in a crack cavalry regiment had private means. P.P. knew that his mother was not too well off, so he was determined to become self-supporting as quickly as possible. He cut out all needless expenses, thus amongst other economies he gave up smoking because of the cost, and late on, when he could afford to smoke, he did not do so because he found that the habit affected his sense of smell and scouting. He used his skill as an artist to add to his income and wrote and illustrated many articles for magazines. BP was a first-class horseman, and this is not unconnected with his love of animals, for a good horseman must have a real liking for his mount. It is not therefore surprising that he took quite quickly to the two great sports of polo and pig-sticking. Good horse trained for these activities are expensive, so BP would go out of the way places and buy up raw ponies and then break them in and train them for polo. The task was not an easy one, but he learned a great deal about horses in the process. Then he had the added satisfaction of selling a well-trained animal advantage to his own purse. In pig-sticking he became so expert that in 1883 he won the Cardo Cup, the most coveted trophy of the sport. In days when there were no wireless or gramophone regiments, had to make their own amusements, and entertainments and theatrical shows of all kinds were popular. Here BP was always in demand. He could sing a comet song or act or make up topical skits that would bring down the house. His skill as an artist also came in useful as a design and paint or scenery, and it was not long before he became the producer of comic operas and plays. Rehearsals had sometimes to be carried out under difficulties, and on the occasion, the pirates of Penzance was prepared out of doors with swords stuck in the ground to mark the stage area. In case of sudden attack by tribesmen, the swords could then be quickly seized. All this was the lighter side of his life. BP devoted himself to his military career with the thoroughness with which he did everything. His first eight months in India were spent at Lucknow, where he took an intensive course, passing out with the first class, with a special certificate in surveying. At the end of two years, he was sent home on sick leave, and this was extended so that he could take a musketry course. Again, he was placed in the first class. On his return to India in 1830, 1880, rather, he rejoined his regiment, which had moved up to the northwest frontier. 
This was the year of Lord Robert's famous 300-mile march from Kabul to Kadar, but by the time BP reached the regiment, the fighting was over. He did, however, get the useful experience of active service conditions. One part of military work had early captured his enthusiasm, scouting, and he had taken every opportunity of making himself more efficient and of passing on his knowledge to his men who found this new kind of soldiering more exciting than drill. This training proved valuable, for attacks might be made by the Afghans at any time of the day or night, and constant scouting was necessary to detect their whereabouts. Then, one day, the horses broke loose in a storm. All but one were recaptured, but BP was determined to find the missing horse. He rode round the camp in a wide circle until he came across the tracks of a galloping horse. These he followed up into the mountains, where the tracks were difficult to distinguish. But at last he found the horse and brought it back to the camp. When the order came to march back to base, BP told his colonel he knew a shortcut that would save the men and horses both time and fatigue. The colonel accepted the suggestion and found it was correct. Incidents such as these drew attention to the young officer, and when special service was needed, his name naturally came to mind. Quick promotion followed, and at the age of 26, he was gazetted captain. This meant more office work, which he did well, though as it was little to his taste, as it kept him indoors a good deal, but there was not much time for his various interests. But he still managed to get away for occasional trips into the mountains, alone save for a few native servants. In manoeuvres, BP's skill as a scout, especially at night, was always useful to his regiment. On one occasion, for instance, he was with the attacking party, the scouts managed to find out where the defenders' outposts were, but were unable to get through. They settled down for a few hours' sleep. But BP decided he would make one more effort to find out the disposition of the forces. So he crept through the outposts in the dark and crawled along until he discovered that both the main body and the reserve were stationed. At the farthest point he left a glove behind a bush, then he crept back to his men. The next day he was able to give an exact account of the position, much to the surprise of the defenders who had claimed the day. They thought at first he had made a lucky guess, but when he told them where to find the glove, they had to admit defeat. He was, as ever, in constant demand for all entertainments, and at one of these he completely deceived his colonel and the other officers when he arrived in, his, in the disguise of a visiting general. His joke was only revealed when he went up to the platform and sang the Major General's song of the Pirates of Pazance. In 1883, the Duke of Connaught came out to India, and B.P. was appointed to his staff, and this was the beginning of a lifelong friendship. The regiment was ordered home in the following year. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tales from Africa. Next time we have Chapter 2, First Experiences in South Africa. Now that's quite exciting, uh, and I hope to see you again next time. But for now, goodbye, Anna. God bless.